those of you that have not gotten to hear one of my sermons, uh, I hold the record for the longest sermon in Valley Center Community Church history. Uh, 72, William the Refrigerator Perry's number. And so some of you out there that are familiar with the sports world are probably saying, okay, if we're going to go Chicago numbers, let's go more Walter Payton, right? 34. Let's keep it. Let's keep there. Maybe let's go even better than that. Let's go Michael Jordan 23 on today with it being, oh, someone's even going down lower. So, <laughs> so we're going to do our best to, uh, to speak God's word in clear and concise manner uh, for his name's sake, for his glory, for our good. And so that's the call that we're here to do. And we're doing this suffering together, right? Out here in the heat together. I am praying that God will give you an extra crown in heaven if you joined us. If you didn't join us, you're on the air live. There might be wisdom in your mind. You know, there's a thin line between the crazy and the brave, uh, they say. And so I'm just glad that you're all here, whether it's physically or in spirit with us right now. Uh, today we are going to talk about suffering. And so we, we joke, right, about these kind of sufferings of like, oh, man, it's so hot and we're suffering in light. But sometimes it's the little things that kind of get us kind of annoyed. Like when we talked about people that get hungry, and then after they're hungry for too long, they get hangry, um, and they don't suffer well in those moments. Or people that if they don't get enough sleep uh, in the mornings, you know, you, you realize like, ooh, we should not, you know, walk right into their presence because we may not come out very well off of that. And so some of us, we don't suffer well in those light afflictions. And those light afflictions then can carry on into bigger afflictions, right? Because maybe it's that person that didn't get a good night's sleep or maybe they're hangry. And maybe you felt this. You have a coworker who then comes off and does not treat you well in the moment of life. And you now have to respond in that moment of how am I going to now go forward in the rest of my day because I just got yelled at or I just got criticized and it seems like what I got yelled at or criticized was for something not really even worth what I just got. And so how do I now handle that? Or how do I handle it when a family member comes and attacks me for something, something that I thought I was doing that was helping us as a family, come to find out that they took it in the total opposite direction, and now they're bringing their wrath against me or they're bringing their contention against me. How do we handle suffering? Or maybe let's take it up. Like this morning when I got out here, not only was it hot, but then the worst thing a Californian can smell in the heat is fire, right? And so we smelt the smoke of the Alpine fire. And so I called my wife right away, hey, just checking, where's the fire at? Like, is this something that I need to preach like a five-minute sermon because we then all need to run type of a mindset or what? Yep, exactly. And so I was already told it was the Alpine Fire. It's under control or something, maybe. I don't know. I think so. Um, but the heat goes up another level, right? Sometimes God actually allows you to think through life in these physical moments because there's a physical element that he wants you to understand about the mental and the spiritual things that he's trying to drive into your heart. And so as, we, as we're here in this heat and you can still smell smoke, sometimes that's the way life is, right, when we suffer. Sometimes it's like I'm having to endure this, not only endure this, but I think there's something more coming from this. 
how do I now handle this? How do I go forward in this life? And sometimes we get burned, right? Because sometimes the fire just doesn't make things more intense or more uncomfortable, but sometimes the flames actually touch us. And in the flames actually touching us, you know, there's loss of life. Or there's like real, real setback within things. Sometimes maybe you've done something for your job and you thought, hey, I've been faithful in my company. I've worked well for my company. And then your company lets you go. Or, or maybe they, they don't give you the promotion you thought you were making yourself ready for and you feel mistreated. Like these sufferings, whether they're light or whether they're heavy, they're real in our life. And how do we now, as believers, how does God's word teach us to go forward in this suffering? And this is where, as we go back into the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter wants to help us think through how do we suffer, how do we do it rightly, how do we do it well. And because Peter was one who suffered, he has good wisdom to share with us. So Peter, being one of the apostles, a man familiar with watching Jesus Christ serve and walk on this world and minister, familiar with watching Jesus Christ suffer at the hands of people, right, continually watched how then Christ lived his life so that Peter would then encourage us, hey, walk in the same way as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. Peter, the man who then himself, after Christ ascended back into heaven, would go and preach the gospel and then would be beaten for it, would be imprisoned for it, and then would be led one day to the cross, to die on the cross the same way that Christ did. But Peter, who said, I'm not worthy to do the same thing that my Lord and Savior says, said, hang me upside down. Because while I want to be faithful to my God, I recognize there's a big difference between what Christ did and what I'm doing. And so he took it to that extreme. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to lay down his life. But he was willing to give credit to God Almighty for what he was doing and how he was doing it. Peter was familiar with suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. And that's why he was martyred for his faith. So what kind of wisdom then does Peter then share with us before he dies to encourage us on, as we will then now see, we the church have been called to think rightly. Think rightly about the world that we're in. Think rightly about what God has done in our lives. Think rightly about who our God and Savior is. Because if we think rightly, it will then cause us or help us to live rightly. And so it starts with thinking rightly about who our God is, what he has done for us. That then leads us to live rightly. As we then live rightly, even through suffering, we then trust that God is going to open up doors for us to then go and to speak rightly. To speak the hope of Christ. So that a world that is lost would come to know how great is their God. And that fellow believers would be encouraged to continue on in their faith, continue to walk boldly and live out the gospel that we have. So Christians, if you've got your sermon notes in there, this is the first main thing that you're filling out. 
Christians, saints, exiles in this world, Christ will grow us in our personal sanctification for obedience to Jesus Christ so that we, the church, would be holy as our God is holy and so that we would fear God above all things, allowing us to suffer well in this world until God calls us home or comes again. This is what Peter's been teaching us through chapter 1 and through chapter 2. Let me say that again. He's been teaching us that we are Christians, right? A Christian is a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, someone who has said, I believe that Jesus Christ is who he is, that he is God Almighty, become flesh, that he then died in my place for my sin so that I could then be saved. And he says, Christian, now you are a saint. You are a holy one, righteous in God's eyes, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And you are called to now then be holy as your God is holy. You're called to now walk in righteousness because Christ walked in righteousness for us. And in doing that, you will become exiles. You will become foreigners in this world, people that people look at strangely like an alien, because you are not living the same way that the rest of the world around you is living. And so he says, Christians, saints, exiles in this world, Christ, Christ will grow us in our personal sanctification, which means Christ is going to be working in us through the power of the Spirit to make us more like himself. And he does this through trials and tribulations. He does it through us working with each other, rubbing elbows with each other, living life with each other. But it's making us more like Christ, sanctifying us. Why? For the obedience to Jesus Christ so that we, the church, would be holy as our God is holy. And we do this because we want to fear God above all things, which allows us to suffer well in this world until God calls us home or comes again. And dear church, let us not be fooled. We will suffer in this world. If we live out our calling as Christians, then we will suffer in this world. Just as our Lord and Savior did, so will happen with us. So now here in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 22. Peter is going to call us not only to rightful thinking as individuals, but to right thinking as the body of Christ. Because we need to understand that we are part of one another, right? Christ is our head. We are all members one of another that God is using to be a light in this world. And here's what God wants us to understand. If I live my life rightly, if I think rightly and I live rightly, it will bless you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. It will then open up doors for you as my brothers and sisters in Christ to then speak the truth rightly. It will open up doors for me to speak the truth of God rightly. If I live wrong, if I think wrong and I live wrong, it will have an impact on you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. It will have an impact on not only you, but it will have an impact on this world as people are looking for hope, people are looking for something that can save them from the world that they're in. We need to then think rightly, live rightly, so that we might speak rightly about who our God is. And we need to do this collectively. We, the church, 
And so it starts off here in verse 8 and says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Finally, all of you, not just one of us, not just some of us, but all of us, we collectively, we the church, need to have a unity of mind. So what does this unity of mind look like? What does it mean? What does it mean to obtain this as a church? Well, God's word gives good answers to God's good questions, right? And so in chapter, or Philippians chapter 2, if you would turn with me there, Philippians chapter 2, Paul answers this same question, what does it look like to have a unity of mind? So Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul says, hey, listen, I want you to have a unity of mind. Just as Peter is telling us, I want you to have a unity of mind. Something that's so grounded and similar that in one sense you're all thinking the same, right? So how do we do that? It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. And so this is how we have a common mind, right? Our common mind is now linked upon the mind of Christ, upon the mind of a God our Savior. And when we have a common mind there, then it's no longer my mind, it's no longer your mind, it's our mind because it's the same that's being linked to Christ, our God and our Savior's mind, so that we see the world the same. So he says this, he says, we the church have a unity of mind, meaning that we have the mind of Christ that's humble, it's sympathetic, it's tenderhearted, and it's loving. What does a unity of mind look like? It means that because I think like Christ, I will now live like Christ, who didn't seek his own interest, but sought to serve the interest of others for the good for their good, and for their salvation. And how might we, the church, obtain that? We obtain this mindset through Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. It is through believing in him as our Lord and Savior that we obtain this mindset. It is by focusing on the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for us that we maintain this mindset, which spurs we, the church, individually and collectively 
on towards love and good deeds for each other and for a world that is lost and in need of salvation. So if you indulge me for a moment, let me unpack this for you. We obtain the mind of Christ by believing in him. So first and foremost, it starts with, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to really understand who Jesus is? That he is God Almighty. God Almighty who created heaven and earth, not only creates it, but holds it together. And that this God decided, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to become like the creation I've made. And I'm going to then come down and live amongst the creation that I've made in a world filled with sin. Even though I'm holy and righteous, I'm now going to come and submit myself into this world so that I can then live righteously and holy, showing it how it was meant to be, showing it why this world is falling apart, and then loving it to the point of dying for it. That I would then go and be humiliated, die as a criminal, die as a thief, even though I've done nothing wrong, so that then you could be saved. And until you understand that and embrace that and trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the truth is you can't have the mind of Christ. You may think at times of a, in a kind way, in a good way, but this mindset cannot stay with you because you're not linked to the vine. Like Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you have to be connected to Christ to be able to keep this mindset and then to keep living out what Christ has called you to live out. And this is the message that then saves us, right? It transforms us. It makes us new. It doesn't just then stop. This is the gospel that then goes on further and carries you through this life so that you can then honor God in all you say and in all you do. It's what helps you to then go when you're suffering and when things are hard and still do the right thing because you remember that your Lord and Savior did it, and he did it on your behalf. And you remember that not only did he do it on my behalf, but he promised to give me the spirit, the God of heaven and earth, to help me go now and do the same thing for the world that I'm in. And so that is now my hope. It's how I obtain this mindset. It's how I also maintain this mindset. Because in this world, we're going to suffer, right? In this world, I can't tell you how many times I have countlessly caused people in my life to suffer, right? So I'm reversing it right now. I'm telling you, I, as a person, have caused probably most of you here to suffer at some point, right? And if not, we'll just count this up right now. <coughs> but there's probably a good chance at some point, if you've been around this church long enough, that I've done something or said something that may have at one point hurt you or offended you or, like, caused tension, right? Or, or we were trying to work together, serving at vacation Bible school or at sport camp, and something went wrong, and it caused suffering in your life. And so how is it then that we can then be united again after suffering has happened, right? I think of my mom and my dad, who I love very much. The amounts of suffering I must have caused in their life, God bless them for how they've endured these things. Like, 
Pastor John and Dave and I were sitting there talking through the sermon. John says, hey, why don't you come up with some personal illustrations of, like, suffering? And I was like, man, the count, it's endless. Like, if I try to really think this thing through of how many ways I've maybe potentially caused people to suffer or vice versa, like, this happens all the time. And if I don't really embrace this mindset of Christ, of what he's done for me, then how can I then go and do the same for others? And it's when I remember that Christ loved me even when I was not lovely, even when I wasn't good, even when I wasn't righteous. He came and he saved me when I was the worst. That then helps me to remember if Christ can do this for me, and he says he's given me his spirit, I can now go and do this for others. And so we now need to think rightly. We need to think like our Lord and Savior. We need to have this unity of mind so that we can now move forward in life to then live rightly. So let me summarize this idea of think rightly. Unity of mind keys in on these facts, that we, the church, are one body with Jesus Christ as our head, that we, the church, are one body through Jesus Christ. We are united in one accord, in full accord, on the word of God. Because Jesus Christ is that living word, according to the gospel of John chapter 1. This unity of mind allows us to then see things the same because we are seeing them through Jesus Christ, God's living word, as we are guided along by God, the Holy Spirit. And it is through God's living word that we are not only saved, but we are transformed in our mind and in our actions. This mindset is not one of selfishness, but of generosity. This mindset is one of humility, humility even to the point of death, whether it be figuratively or even literally. It is this unity of mind that allows us to work through things that we see differently because we are willing to then be patient and understanding with one another until God unites our hearts and our minds on a subject that we may be in disagreement about. Or... It is this unity of mind that then allows us to die to our selfish desires and to place the other persons above our own. It's because of these truths that I can tell you the elders, we, we wait with each other and we pray with each other and we are patient with each other because we trust that if the same Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us, that God will then give us a unity before we make a decision that we have to go forward on. Right? As we were praying about the building, what we were going to do about the building. Like some people say, oh, you guys just move so slow. Well, sometimes we do, but part of it's because we're waiting upon the Lord. We are prayerfully asking God to unite our hearts and unite our minds as the elders so that we would say, hey, we really believe this is what God would have us to now go and to go do. It's why my wife and I, we will pray at times over things and we'll come to it from a different point of view. And I'll have to say or she'll have to say, Hey, we need to pray on it longer then. Even though one of us wants to make the decision right there. Like you have something in your mind, you want to get it done, and you have to then humble yourself and say, you know what, we're going to wait. And we're going to pray on it. And we're just going to allow God to then work this thing out. Because if our hearts are united, we can then trust this is of God in his will. Right? We can then move forward in unity and in peace of mind. It's when... You have this as a family, right? Larger group. The more that you get, the harder this can sometimes feel like or be. But it's where sometimes as a family, 
You guys are going to have to make decisions. And sometimes that decision means you're going to have to die to yourself for the greater good of the family. And you're going to have to ask God, God, help me, because maybe I don't see it the same way. And so if, unless there's sin there, help me now to put my needs to the side, put my desires to the side, and to say, hey, this, this as I'm praying on it, though, God has opened my eyes to see this is better for us as a family. And so now we're going to walk in this way because I'm thinking rightly that the things of this world are not worth comparing to the things of the world that I'm going to. The things of this world are temporary. And so how is it that we can now live at peace, live at hope, live at joy so that we can now move forward as a family to glorify the Lord for his name's sake? That's how we as a church need to keep moving forward. This idea of unity of mind, this idea of thinking rightly, then helps us as a church to go forward and then live rightly. This idea of living rightly now picks back up in chapter 3 of 1 Peter at verse 9 and says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So how do we now live rightly? We're thinking rightly because our minds are on Christ. We're thinking that, you know, we're serving God who is sovereign. How does this now help us to live rightly? He says, one, it reminds us that we don't repay evil for evil. We don't revile when we're reviled. So the idea is I don't hurt you because you hurt me. I don't sit there and then try to speak ill of you because you've spoken ill of me. I instead turn the other cheek like Christ turned the other cheek. I instead seek how I might bless you instead of sitting how can I hurt you or make you feel the same pain that you've made me feel. I now sit there and say, what is your need? And then try to go and meet your need just like Christ came and met our need because we were in need of a Savior to forgive us of our sins. And so Romans chapter 12 would say, hey, if you have an enemy or somebody that's been hurtful towards you and you see that they need a cup of water, you go and you get them a cup of water. Or if they need something to eat, you then take and you feed them because in doing so, in your living rightly, you are now heaping burning coals on their head. This idea of burning coals being heaped on their head is not like, hey, I'm putting you in hell. I'm driving you down, making you burn. It's not that. 
Because this idea, this imagery comes from Genesis chapter 15 when Abraham and God are making a covenant. And when they're Abraham and God are making this covenant, God puts Abraham to sleep off to the side. And then it talks about how he comes through like this smoldering pot, this smoking incense that's coming through. That's the idea of these burning coals being heaped on someone's head. I'm heaping God on you. By living this way, living rightly, because Christ lived rightly for me, I am now heaping God on you, hoping that you will then see the difference and that this love that Christ has shown to me will now change you by the power of God's Spirit working through me. Because it's not me, right? The truth is, any of us that have done this realize I can't do this on my own. I cannot live this way continually on my own. Christ has to change me. He has to renew my mind to make me now go and want to keep doing these things time and time again for those around me. So instead of reviling or instead of doing evil, we bless. Peter is now referring to those spheres of sovereignty, right, that we talked about over the last few months, that when the government does something that we don't like, instead of just rising up in arms, we bless. We seek how can we love, how can we pray for them, how can we honor them unless they're calling us to do something against God and his word. When it comes to work, right, how do I now bless those people that are over me or the company that I'm working for? How do I be a blessing to them even when they're not being a blessing to me, when they're being hurtful to me or an enemy of me? With my family, how do I now go and bless them when life has been tough? How do I take myself off of the throne, humble myself, and say, you know what, God, because you're on the throne, I can now go and serve and love like you have loved me. He's now stating that Christians, saints, exiles, we the church, should not live as the world lives, but we should live as obedient children whose minds have been transformed. We should be holy as Jesus Christ our God is holy, as our Lord and Savior is holy in all of our conduct. And we do this because we realize, as Ephesians 2 has told us, that we have been saved by grace through faith. This is not anything that we have done, but it is a gift of God that changes us. And in realizing that I am saved, that I have become this way, it's not because of me, it then encourages me to go on and do it for other people because I realize, hey, there's nothing about you that makes me need to go do this. But because God loved me, I can now go and love you. And not only can I go do that, but because God loved me, I believe God has actually called me to now go and love you. Because Ephesians 2.10 says, that we are called by God to go and do good things because he had prepared them for us to go and do them. That our God not only calls us to think rightly about things, but he calls us to then go and live rightly so that God would be glorified. Peter argues this in these next few verses coming from Scripture, verses 10 through 14, because he goes back and he quotes Psalm 34. So he's going to quote from Scripture and then he's going to keep giving us not only logic out of Scripture, but another piece of logic to help us understand this is why you are called to live rightly. 
says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and to do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, whoever desires to love life and see good days, both here and for eternity, one, they should use their words, whether they're written, spoken, or even nonverbal, to communicate blessing and to pursue peace instead of to seek evil or revile or to hurt or maim. So this goes to our verbal conversation, right? As we're talking face-to-face or around people, our words should be used to build others up and to encourage them, as Ephesians 4.29 says, not to tear them down. It goes into our texting, that our texting messages should be used as means to help encourage others and to bless others, to our social media, okay? And then to our responses to social media, so that we should be thinking about how is it that I now live my life through my word and my speech. Not only should our words bless and pursue peace, but also our actions. And here is a word of encouragement for us as a church. God sees what is going on. He sees what you and the rest of the world are doing, both the good and the bad. And he says, don't be deceived. I will not be mocked. God actually is keeping track of what all is taking place. And he says, I will reward those who do good. I will hear their prayers of the righteous. But he says, for those that are not, those who are evil, not only will I not hear their prayers, but I am actually storing up wrath for the coming day of judgment. So Peter now turns from that passage in Psalm 34 to this last statement of logic in verse 13. He says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So take that in for a moment. If you do good, so kids, if you guys do good, you do what your parents ask you, should you guys get punished? I hope not, right? No. No one should get punished for doing good. If I'm trying to do good, if I'm trying to do things that I think are going to be helpful to others, should I then get punished? No. Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? The person that's doing good or trying to do good should not get punished. So if one is being punished for doing good or trying to do good, then what's taking place? Evil and sin are taking place. So it would be a testimony to us if evil is being done to those that are doing good or if hurt is being poured out onto those who are living rightly, it should be a testimony to us that the world is still full of sin and is still in need of a Savior. When the righteous are accused and punished for doing what is right and good, this is a testimony that God often if not always, will use to speak to others about the hope of the gospel and how it needs to hear that message to be saved in this world. Remember how the Jews and the Gentiles came to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, their Savior, when he was hung on the cross? Remember the Roman soldier, the thief on the cross? How it was through Christ's suffering that then their eyes were opened to say, this truly is the Son of God. This truly is the Lord. Now, if you want to look with me at verses 14 to 17, we're going to see that not only are we called to live rightly, but now he calls us to then out of that speak rightly. 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and with respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So now he says, not only should you think rightly, and thinking rightly about who God is, that he is sovereign, that he's in control, that he's working all things out for your good, that he is with you and for you, that he has gone before you in Christ your Savior, and he has paid the penalty of your sin so that you could be changed. And now that you have his example, and I'm thinking upon that, I now can then go and live rightly. And as I'm living rightly, as I'm doing what's good and right and being a blessing to others, that should open up doors for them to me now go and speak rightly. Because truth is, church, we not only need to live the gospel, we do need to speak the gospel. Romans says, how will they be saved if no one goes and tells them? And so we have to now go and speak the truth. And when we speak it, we need to do it in gentleness and in respect. We need to go in a way that shows the kindness and the love of Christ, the humility of Christ, when we continue to live out and reach out to the world that is around us. And if you're wondering, like, well, what do I say? How will I know what to do? Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says this. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak, what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That here's the truth, that if God really is working in us, we can trust that God will then speak through us to say in kindness and in goodness the things that need to be said so that a lost world would know there's a God and that they would then understand their need for a Savior. Peter finally closes this section with a word of encouragement and two examples One being Christ, the other being Noah. So first, here's the word of encouragement. Verse 17. It is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Again, this goes back to the idea of right thinking. If we really believe that our God is sovereign and in control and is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that then guards our hearts and it guards our minds and it allows us to go and do things, things that are hard, because we know that those things are pleasing to God. And it is better to please God than to please ourselves. And he shows this in his final examples. First being Christ, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, few, eight persons were brought safely through the waters. And baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you, not as a removal of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having all been subjected to him. So Jesus now, being our example, 
demonstrated it, as we've said, through what he did, coming and becoming man, living a life of perfection, and then dying in such a crazy way so that you and I could be saved. And in doing this, he then takes full authority over all powers, over all creation, and he says, I now reign over sin and death, and I now can judge them rightly. And I, and I alone, can now not only judge them, but I can now pay the penalty of your sin. And so we, can, we look to the hope of Christ in the gospel as the one who went and proclaimed power over all these things so that all spirits would know he alone is God. He alone can save. And then he points to Noah, and he says, now look at the story of Noah. And he says, in this time where sin has come and it's running rampant around the world, and it's only evil, people are only doing things to hurt people and make life worse, here is one person that God picks out, Noah, and says, this is a righteous person. So God, in his grace, gives Noah the ability to live a righteous life. To think rightly about who God is, hey, this is the creator of all heaven and earth, who's now telling me to do something that's just crazy, to build a boat out in the middle of a desert that's going to take me a hundred years to build. And in building this boat, as I'm building it, people are going to come ask, what are you doing? And I'm going to say, I'm building a boat in the desert. For what? For rain. What's rain? Right? And so here he is. He's trusting God, and he's walking, and he's now not only thinking rightly, not only living rightly, but now God's giving him the opportunity to speak. And he's speaking rightly for 120 years. Noah proclaimed how good God was and that the people needed to repent of their sin and turn from their wicked ways so that they could be saved. And only eight listened. Noah and his family. Those were the only ones that trusted God and listened. Those were the only ones that were then put onto the ark and then carried through the watery judgment that came and judged the earth at that time. And then after that it was done, God comes to Noah and says, hey, I won't do this again. I will not judge the world by water again. And he gives us that great hope, the promise of the, of the rainbow, right? So now whenever it rains we see the rainbow, we are reminded that there is a God and that this God will not judge us in this manner again. But he says, I will come and I will judge the world again and I will judge it by fire. And this is something that we need to take seriously. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, he says, this is going to happen. There will be another reckoning. I will come again. And when I come again, there will be a judgment. And only those that are found in Christ, just like the ark, only those that have been placed into the body of Christ when he died on the cross and was buried and then rose again, those are the only ones that have been saved and are going to be ushered into heaven, going through the fiery trial. He says, for all those who are not in Christ, they will then endure an eternal wrath forever. That's why now we need to not only think rightly so that we can know how to go and then live rightly, but we are now called to speak rightly because there's a world that needs to hear of our Lord and Savior so that they could be saved. And so he now concludes this whole thing and says, hey, if this is how life is to be done, and this is the calling for us, this now 
should encourage your hearts, no matter what you're going through, to suffer because you remember how your Lord and your Savior, your God, suffered. So, dear church, will we, the church, we, Valley Center Community Church, we, the greater universal church, will we answer the call that God has given us? Will you join with the elders? Will you join with the faithful brothers and sisters to think rightly about who your God is, what he has done for you, what he is going to continue to do for you because he promises to go with you? Will you go live rightly? Will you walk in obedience to his ways? And will you then speak rightly? Will you go and share the gospel with the world that is lost? And will you speak words of healing and hope to the brothers and sisters in Christ? Knowing that we as Christians, followers of Christ, saints, called to be holy, made holy by Jesus Christ, exiles in this world, that God is using these things to grow us in our sanctification so that we would walk in obedience to him, so that we as a church would continue to become holy as Christ is holy, and that we would then have the power not to fear anything that this world can throw at us. Because we fear God above all things, and it allows us to then go and suffer and to suffer well. Because, dear church, I wish it wasn't so, but we are coming to more and more times where we are going to have to suffer and to stand together, to bond arms, and to live this thing out so that a world around us would see how great is our God. And if it becomes like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and Babylon, where we have to say, you want me to do this, I can't because I trust my God and my Savior. And even if he doesn't save me from whatever it is you're about to put me through, I know that he's going to carry me through the fiery judgment to the other side. And so I'll trust him, and I'll think rightly on him, and I'll live rightly for him, and I'll speak now rightly for him because you need to know because whatever you're about to do to me here is nothing compared to what my God will grant me. May we live that boldly and suffer well. Would you pray with me? God Almighty, we come before you and we ask that you would help us as we live this life out. God, we ask that you would help us through Christ, our Lord and Savior, through the power of the Spirit, to now go and do what your word has called of us to go and do, to think rightly, to live rightly, to speak rightly, not on our own behalf. God, it's nothing that we can do, but it's what you do in us and through us because you are good. And so, God, now help us to go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.